We are continuing our study of the book of Philippians, and we're coming down to the very end of chapter 2, if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to that particular text. Normally when I begin the class each time, when we've been looking at the book of Philippians, I kind of start at the beginning of the book and give us a, uh, a run-through of everything we looked at, and the purpose of that is, of course, to show the connectivity, if you will, of the train of thought that the Apostle Paul has and how he just builds upon things that he has already said and how he ties it all together. But I'm not going to do that this morning. In fact, what I'm going to do is wait till the end of our discussion of the text this morning and then tie it all together because then I think you appreciate more of what we're looking at today. All right, today we look at another character that the Apostle Paul wants to bring up. You remember last time we had class, uh, he talked to us about Timothy. And you remember... Uh, He was going to send Timothy to the church at Philippi uh, after what happened. Remember what he decided to do? That he was going to send him, come on in, going to send two people back to the church at Philippi. The first one was Timothy, and he was going to send Timothy back to the church at Philippi after what, Michael? All right, as soon as they found out the verdict of, of Caesar. Remember, Paul was in, in, the, in prison in Rome, and he was going to have a trial uh, before Caesar. And um, the verdict could either be guilty, and he would lose his life, or he would be uh, declared innocent, and he'd be allowed his freedom once again. Uh, but he was going to send uh, Timothy back once the verdict was decided to let the church at Philippi uh, know this. And once again, that shows a very close relationship that Paul had at the church uh, at Philippi, the Philippian brother there, uh, because of the fact uh, we don't read about anywhere else where Paul was wanting to send the results of the verdict back to any other church. Uh, He wanted the church at Philippi to know first, and he was going to use his chief right-hand man, if you will, Timothy, to bring the news to him. And that shows you the importance of how he wanted to make sure the church at Philippi knew before anybody else did what the verdict of Caesar was, and once again emphasizing the very, very close relationship that they had and how much he loved that church. But there was a second man he was going to send, and this particular man he was going to send right away. And uh, what was his name, Betty? Epaphroditus. I like it when Betty says that. Say it one more time. Epaphroditus. Now, that name is an unusual name. In fact, this is the only time that it appears in the Bible uh, in this particular form. Uh, But I kind of like the the name because of the fact that once we learn to say it, it's a neat name to say and it's easy to remember. Uh, Epaphroditus. Uh, What's interesting, though, is it is the formal name of of the word uh, Epaphras, which is a very common Greek name. Um, Epaphroditus would be the formal name. For example, my formal name is James, but most people call me Jim. And so in the same situation, Epaphroditus would be like James, and then Ephrus would be like Jim. And Ephrus was a very, very common Greek name, but Epaphroditus, the only time we see it used, is right here in this particular text. And um, we appreciate the fact that Paul's given us this beautiful name that kind of rolls off of the tongue. Let's look at what Paul says about Epaphroditus, uh, beginning at verse 25 and going down to the end of the chapter. And by the way, Epaphroditus means charming, and uh, so this might have been a charming man. 
but let's just read the entire text, and we'll go through and, and make some points that uh, need to be brought to our attention. Beginning at verse 25 and going to the end of the chapter, it says, Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and that ministered to my and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him, therefore, the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. All right, as I said, Paul now is, is, is finishing up this chapter, and he's already introduced us to Timothy, who's going to come later. But now he lets them know that he's going to be sending him, sending back to the church at Philippi, uh, this guy by the name of Epaphroditus. And um, he says this, first of all, in verse 25, that this is a necessity. This is something that must be done. And he's going to explain why it must be done here in just a moment. But that's, the, that's the theme behind this particular text. But he says some glowing things about Epaphroditus. He refers to him as his brother. He confers to him as his companion or co-worker in labor. Refers to him as a fellow soldier. And um, those are some high glowing things to say about someone who was a part of the church. And uh, we should want all of us to have the same type of things said about us. Uh, first of all, the idea of brother. There's a family relationship in the church uh, tied together by blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And obviously, uh, we need to always think about members of the church as being a part of our family. Uh, the word brother is not just a designation of some type of title, but instead it's supposed to show the closeness. Um, obviously, uh, in normal cases, the closest people we have on the face of the earth is our own family. Our father and our mothers are, are something that if it's a normal relationship, we're very close to. Our siblings, we're probably closer to them than we are to most other people. Uh, and the reason being is we have some common bonds that hold us together. We're all part of the same bloodline, if you will. And I said that's normally the case in most families. Well, Paul is making the association, as others do, does, and Jesus Christ does also, that this is, should be the same way it is in the church. Uh, we're tied together because of a common bond. We're tied together because of bloodline, that blood being Jesus Christ. And therefore, uh, that reminds us that we should treat one another in the church's family. But also he talks about how that he's a co-worker or companion in labor. And once again, that's something that should be said about us in the church. Uh, we should be known as workers in the church. And also refers to him as a fellow soldier. And the fact that we understand that we're all fighting the good fight. Uh, there's a song we sing sometimes, soldiers of Christ arise. And that's the idea. We should be known as someone who's willing to fight and defend and stand for the truth. Uh, the truth of God's Word. And he says these uh, wonderful things about Epaphroditus, and he, the reason why he's doing this, he's being sincere about it, but he's building up Epaphroditus because of the, the fact that he is sending him back home. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute, why it's so very important that they understand and appreciate the fact of how much 
Paul values Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is someone that, that has been his brother in Christ, has been his fellow co-worker, has been his fellow soldier in Christ. This is someone that Paul holds in high esteem. And that's very, very important here at the beginning of what he's about to say because of what he's going to say here in just a minute. But before we get to that, notice what he says in the latter part of the verse. He says, But your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Now, what, is you, what do you think it means when Paul refers to Epaphroditus as your messenger? The things we've talked about earlier in this class. What is going on here when he refers to uh, him being the messenger? All right, very good. Um, the word messenger here in the Greek means one you sent. And so this is the one they sent from Philippi to Paul. And as Michael said, uh, he was the one that brought the money uh, that we talked about earlier that the church at Philippi supplied for Paul while he was in prison. Uh, he was also the one that evidently brought, brought a letter from the church at Philippi because Paul answers some questions here in the text that was obviously either brought by letter or brought verbally by Epaphroditus. And um, also there's the idea that Epaphroditus had a special job when he was in, Philippi, or when he was in um, Rome with Paul. And what was his special job, evidently? Help Paul. In fact, the last part of the verse says, and he that ministered to my wants. Uh, this man was sent by the church at Philippi to be with Paul while he was in prison until the verdict was read. If Paul was going to be put to death, the church at Philippi wanted a representative from, from uh, Philippi to be there with Paul until the very end. If he was declared innocent, then Epaphroditus was going to be there to help celebrate his news. Um, the idea of ministered here is not minister in the sense like he was a preacher to Paul. We use that word minister to think, maybe think of preachers. But literally the idea here in the Greek is here was a man who was a servant to Paul. He became Paul's manservant. So, so far we discovered that here was someone that was named Epaphroditus. Paul held him in high regard, gave him all kinds of glowing titles about what kind of worker he was, what kind of Christian he was, what kind of defender of the truth he was. He was the one that was sent by the church at Philippi, and he was supposed to be there as a servant to Paul's needs. Now, here's a question I'd like to ask myself. It's not written in the text, but you know, whenever we, I read anything in the Bible, I kind of think outside the box a little bit and maybe think about some things people don't think about, but... Just your opinion, because that's all it is. What kind of things do you think Epaphroditus did for Paul while he was in prison? All right, he might have written some things down, uh, because Paul, of course, was shackled to a Roman soldier, and that made him hard to write. And um, Paul might have had some infirmities where he needed Paul, uh, Epaphroditus' help. Yes, Eric. All right, having someone there to encourage you is a very big help. Uh, no one likes to deal with situations by themselves, especially when you're separated from loved ones and that type of thing. Uh, what else might he have done? All right. He might have been his chef. He might have cooked him up some, some um, San Francisco treats or something. You just don't know what he might have fixed him. But he might have been prepared his meals. He might have uh, took care of his clothes, that type of thing. Yes. Okay. 
Absolutely. Took care of his housekeeping things. And, of course, all these are, are just conjecture, but, you know, he might have ran errands for Paul. Uh, he might have um, done all kinds of different things. But the main thing was, we get from the text, was that here was someone who was a servant to Paul, sent by the church at Philippi. And the intent was that this man was supposed to stay with him till the end. That's something to, very be, to remember, okay? Because that's the whole, one of the main reasons why Paul is writing and says what he says here. But something happened here. In verse 26, it says, For he longed after you all. Now, the King James Version has longed after you. Does anybody have anything different? The word here in the Greek is the word that um, means homesickness. Here was a man who was very homesick to go back home. And Paul tells us that the reason why he was homesick and why he was so sad, the text is full of heaviness, uh, because that they, the church at Philippi, had heard that he had been sick. Now we discover, as we read on, that this sickness was not just a common cold, but this sickness was something that could have killed Epaphroditus. Um, This was some type of very, very serious illness. Uh, we don't know uh, where this illness came from. We don't know what this illness was. Uh, we Even assuming that it was an illness, it might have been uh, he was injured in some kind of way. We just don't know. There was a lot of plague going on at this time period. Yes, Michael? All right. And that's a possibility too. And we'll talk more about that when we get to that part of the, of the, of the chapter. Uh, but whatever he was doing, he was doing it for Christ because he was helping Paul. And because he was helping Paul, and he was doing for Christ, guess what happened? He got sick. And the sickness was so bad that it about killed him. Uh, He was on his deathbed, evidently. And there were people who were maybe standing vigil over him, just waiting for him to die. Uh, They thought that he was going to die. He was so sick. And um, this wouldn't have happened if he hadn't been with Paul, is the implication. Yes, the implication is he was alone because nobody else is mentioned. And you bringing it up that long distance, he might have contracted this illness on this long trip over here. Or he might have been, as Michael said, beaten up by robbers on the way over here. Uh, we're not sure what happened, but in his service of Paul, which was serving Jesus Christ, he became very ill. Now, the first lesson I think we can gather from that is, even though you may be a very faithful Christian, and even though... Uh, Paul may refer to you as a brother and a fellow laborer and a soldier of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean we're not going to get sick. That doesn't mean we're not going to experience uh, health problems. Uh, You know, being a Christian doesn't make us immune to the things that other people have to deal with in life. Uh, We have a better outlook on it because of the fact that we are Christians, but yet at the same time, we need to understand that just because we're Christians doesn't mean that life is going to be always good. And uh, when you think about the fact that the most perfect man who ever walked on the face of the earth, who lived life exactly like he was supposed to live, uh, he was beaten and nailed to a tree and put to death. And so uh, here is Epaphroditus who was doing everything that he was supposed to be doing. He left home and came all the way over here to Rome to be with Paul. Paul refers to him as a brother, a companion in labor, and a fellow soldier. And he was ministering to the needs of Paul, but yet he still got sick. 
And because of that, uh, the church at Philippi heard about it, and they, of course, were sad, and that caused Epaphroditus to, first of all, want to be homesick because he wanted to get back to them and let them know that he was okay. And uh, he wanted to, to, to let them see him. But also think he was homesick because of the fact of that here he was, he was sick, and he was far away from home. Have you ever been sick and been far away from home? Uh, I remember a couple years ago, I was holding a gospel meeting in Rockwood, uh, Tennessee, and on the way over there, I started feeling bad and started hacking up a lung and whatnot, and by the time I got off that morning, I was so sick, I could barely get out of bed, and I could barely speak because I'd coughed so much that night. Uh, I literally had lost my voice, but yet I was supposed to teach a Bible class and speak twice that particular day. And um, so that morning, I got up and called the preacher there in Rockwood, and I said, I can barely talk. He says, well, I'll tell you what, just do the best you can. <laughs> I said, okay, because <laughs> he evidently wasn't going to prepare anything and take my place. And so I got up, and, and I did Bible class, and I did uh, Sunday morning worship and Sunday uh, night. And uh, it's interesting, the church at Rockwood, I've had the opportunity to hold meetings there, I think, almost, I think 10 times now. But they do week-long gospel meetings. They go from Sunday all the way through Friday. Um, my point in all that is I wanted to go home immediately as soon as I got there uh, because I was sick. I was feeling awful, and I wanted to be home where my wife could take care of me and I could be in my own bed instead of being in a motel room that if I needed something, somebody could go get it for me. But instead, here I was drugging, dragging around a drugstore trying to find things to take care of myself, and I didn't really want to go see a doctor because I was in a strange town and didn't know a doctor, but that was a miserable week, and I wanted to be home so very badly. And I can imagine what Epaphroditus went through. Here he was, these hundreds of miles away from home in a strange city, and he almost died because of the illness that he had. Of all the places he wanted to be, he wanted to be back home. And so you get more of the flavor of the idea why... He was full of heaviness uh, because he wanted to be home. But verse 27 brings up another point that we need to discuss, and I even mentioned this when we first began this class. But in verse 27 it says, For indeed he was sick nigh unto death. Uh, whatever illness he had, whatever problem he had, this man almost died because of that problem. Now here's the thing I wanted y'all to think about. I brought it up early in the class. Here was a man that was a co-worker of Paul, a Christian, someone who was ministering to the apostles' needs while he was in prison. But he got so sick he nearly died. Why in the world did the apostle Paul just not go ahead and heal him? I mean, he had the power of healing. Here was a man that was his co-worker who was a Christian who was, who was ministering to his needs and he was about to die. Why didn't Paul just lay hands on him and say, you've been healed of your illness or your problem or whatever it may be. I'm going to spare your life through the power of the miraculous that's been given to me by the Holy Spirit. Now why didn't he do that? Okay. And that's happened to Paul in other places when you know he's been on these... Uh, when he was shipwrecked on the, shipwrecked on the island of Melita, uh, they thought he was a god because he was able to do things that he did. Yes, Jeff? All right. Um, in other words, it wasn't up to him, it was up to God. 
All those are good answers, but that's not the answer I'm looking for. Somebody else have a suggestion. Well, here's what I want you to think about. In the New Testament, and even in the Old Testament, what was the purpose of miracles? So that you might believe. And that's what Michael's going to say to you. As you were speaking, his Michael's hand was going up, but you beat him to it. It's on the front row. Okay. That's right. That's right. You're quicker from the front row. Very good. Yeah, we need to understand that miracles that were performed in the New Testament, both by Jesus and by the apostles, were not just arbitrary. Uh, you know, if that was the case, why didn't Jesus and the apostles just open up hospitals somewhere and say, bring in your sick, bring in your dead, bring everybody, and we're going to set up a clinic here, and everybody that comes in, we're going to heal them and make the whole world better. That's not why miracles were performed. Miracles were performed to confirm the Word of God. Uh, if you get the opportunity, read the Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, it very clearly says that the purpose of the signs and miracles that were performed by the apostles were for the purpose of confirming the Word of God. Now, today we have the complete Word of God, but during the times of the apostles, and of course Jesus Christ performed the miracles to prove that He was the Son of God, that He who, it was who He said He was. But during the time of the apostles, before they had a completed Word of God, and you've heard me use this illustration before, but there could be a man standing on this street corner, and he says, I've received a message from God, and God tells me that this is what you need to do. This is what God wants you to do as His people. And then there would be another guy standing on the other street corner who also would say, I've received a word from God. God has inspired me to tell you to do such and such, and it would be exactly the opposite of what this man over here says. Well, how would one be proven to be right? Well, the one that could perform the miracle, the one that could make the lame walk, the one that could make the blind to see, the one that could heal illnesses. Uh, the whole purpose of miracles and other signs were to confirm that they were indeed messengers from God. Uh, you remember how even on the day of Pentecost, when that very first gospel sermon was preached, uh, God gave those apostles miraculous abilities, first of all beginning with the sound of a mighty rushing wind to draw attention to the place. That was miraculous. Then the, the cloven tongues of fire upon their head to let the people know that they were anointed of God, that these were God's messengers. But then there was the miraculous that's emphasized in Acts chapter 2, that these men spoke in languages that they had never ever studied in their entire life. The purpose of that was to prove that what they were saying was indeed the Word of God. Now, to bring it into modern-day uh, usage, we don't need miracles anymore today uh, as far as confirming the Word of God because we've got the confirmed Word of God now. And so how we deal with the same situation with a man on one street corner saying one thing and another man on another street corner saying the other thing, how do we resolve that issue today? Do we wait for one of them to perform a miracle? What do we do? That's right. We just look it up in here. Which one is agreeing with what God said? And uh, that's how you solve the issue today because we do have the confirmed Word of God. So the bottom line, what I'm trying to make you understand here, the reason why the Apostle Paul did not heal Epaphroditus is because that was not the purpose of miracles. In fact, uh, we can read of another man by the name of Trophimus who Paul left sick. 
Uh, Paul could have healed him, but no, Paul left him sick. Why? Because that's not the purpose of miracles. In fact, I remember in 2 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 12, where Paul prayed three different times that, Paul re- that God remove a thorn in his flesh. Now, we don't know what that thorn in the flesh was, but most scholars think it was some type of ailment. It may have been blindness. It may have been uh, stuttering. We don't, know, we don't know for sure. There's different opinions about that. But here, once again, we understand and appreciate the fact that, that here was Paul, the apostle, who was perhaps the greatest missionary who ever lived, and he prayed to God three different times to be healed, and guess what? God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. This is something you need to continue to deal with, Paul. And so it just goes to show you that the purpose of miracles was not just for arbitrary healing. It was about confirming the word of God. It was about proving to them that they were spokesmen of God. And so miracles just weren't done uh, haphazardly. Miracles just weren't done uh, and whenever the occasion arose. But instead they had uh, specific purposes. And uh, so more than likely that's why Epaphroditus was not healed by Paul. But notice in the text it says, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Uh, That leads me to believe that even though Paul did not perform a miracle, he did pray to God, as we all should when someone is sick. And we need to leave it up to God and God's will. And in this particular case, God answered Paul's prayer in two different ways. He answered it in the fact that Epaphroditus was made better. He didn't lose his life and the second thing was that evidently Paul prayed for, he says, God, if I lose this man, it will be more than I can bear because it will be, as he said, uh, sorrow upon sorrow. And that's an inter- interesting uh, phrase there in the Greek. It literally means to be sorrowful once and then be sorrowful once again. And what he's alluding to is he's already in sorrow in his life right now because of the fact that Epaphroditus was sick. But if Paphroditus had died, that would have been an additional sorrow put upon his life. So sorrow upon sorrow. Any questions or comments? Well, and that brings up the point that perhaps then Paul understood that it wasn't needed. That the things that Paul had been teaching them by his own life and by other things, that it was not necessary. Yes, Mike? (laughs) Absolutely. And that makes me think about the fact that you know, sometimes we have the attitude if we lived in the days of Jesus and saw all his miracles or um, saw the apostles do the thing they did in miraculous, boy, we'd be the strongest Christians who ever lived. If we actually got to see with our own eyes these great things that Jesus did and the apostles did. But then you got the example of the Israelites who saw all kinds of wondrous things. Is that what you're going to say, Jeff? Absolutely. They kept saying, show us a sign. And Jesus says, I've already given you a sign, but I'll give you another sign. And that is, you build, this temple was built, I'm going to tear it down in three days and build it back up again. And of course, it was talking about the sign of his resurrection. Um, good point though, Michael. Maybe there was a miracle early before him. It was silly to, to have another miracle. But we're running out of time, so let's move down to verse 28. And he says something very interesting here. And I, as I, I kept alluding to this, you know, he starts off talking about Epaphroditus and he's really building him up and calls him all these things. And he talks about his illness and how he wants to go home now. He's homesick because of this illness. But notice what he says now in verse 28. And you're starting to get a picture of what's happening here. He says, 
I sent him, therefore, the more carefully, that when ye see him again, you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Think about this for a moment. Paul says, I'm sending him back to you. All right. He's got, Aphrodite gets to the church at Philippi. He has this letter in his hand, and they're reading along, and they're kind of giving the uh, Epaphroditus the skunk eye, thinking, why in the world is Epaphroditus here with this letter in his hand? Well, they get to this point, now they begin to understand. He says, I sent him, therefore, the more carefully. In other words, I took great carefulness. This is a very important decision that I made. This is something that you need to listen to me about. There's a reason behind this. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Now, what in the world would be the wrong idea that the church at Philippi might have about Epaphroditus when they first see him appear in church with this letter from Paul? Yes? All right. First of all, that Paul did not appreciate what they had done for him. Okay? It's like... There's an old expression that we, we don't use anymore, but somebody gives you a gift and you give it back to them. You know, we had an expression for that. It's not politically correct anymore. And that's kind of like what they might think. Well, well, Paul, we sent this man to you and you're sending him back to him? Sending him back to me? You, you don't want him? You know, we, we, we sacrificed so to send this man to you. There's also another thing that's going on here. What else might the church at Philippi think happened? Yes, Bob? All right. There might be a possibility that he's back, that he might have been executed. Think about the church at Philippi. Think about the responsibility they placed upon Epaphroditus. Think about what Epaphroditus' job was. What was he supposed to be doing? Taking care of Paul. All right. They might have thought Epaphroditus was a failure. His job was to go and take care of Paul all the way till the end. But he got sick. Oh, now you got sick, you're coming home. Okay, I see how it is. Um, You remember uh, a guy that was on the first missionary journey with the Apostle Paul? And when things evidently got too tough, he decided to go home. He failed in the mission for which he had been purposed to go along with Paul. Remember his name? John Mark. All right. In fact, it upset Paul so greatly that when it came time to do the second missionary journey and Barnabas wanted to take John Mark along, Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, not that guy. And so you got something similar going on here where Epaphroditus has in some ways failed in his mission. And that was, as we see at the very beginning, of verse, uh, at the very end of verse 25, how that he was supposed to be the one sent that was supposed to minister to his wants. Well, Paul still had wants, but yet Epaphroditus was back home. So he's letting them know that um, think about this very carefully because you're getting the wrong idea. I want you to rejoice that he is there and that I may be the less sorrowful. Now that leads me to believe as long as Epaphroditus was with Paul, it made Paul sad. Now, why in the world would Paul be sad as long as Epaphroditus was still with him? Uh, yeah, you know, Paul understood where Epaphroditus needed to be. And even though 
you get the impression that Epaphroditus kept insisting, I, I don't need to leave, I need to stay here, I need to minister to your needs. And it was to the point where Paul was saying, well, you know, this is causing me heartache that you're still here when you need to be back home. Uh, and so he, he wants to make sure that when they got their home safe, that when he got back to the church at Philippi, that they rejoiced that he was there because he returned home and he was to receive a hero's welcome. And this would make Paul happy because it would lessen his sorrow. And that's why he says in verse 29, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. In other words, hold him in high esteem. And here's the reason why in verse 30. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. And um, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Because of the work that he was doing um, in Christ, something caused him to uh, almost die. Now, it's interesting that the word here for uh, Nigh unto death is a uh, Greek word that uh, means the same thing that is used in verse 8 where it says, uh, talking about Jesus Christ, it says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of cross. The same Greek word is used there for unto death that's used talking about Jesus. That's talking about Epaphroditus here. And so he's making a connection here that the uh, man that was working for him was a man who was almost unto death and uses the same word that he uses in verse 8. But another Greek word that's interesting here is for the work that's being described here, the work that brought him unto death. If you combine uh, the word in the right way in the Greek, you get the word parabolamia, which is a very unusual word. First of all, we know what um, para means, right? Y'all had a class on the parables not too long ago. Um, what does para mean? It means alongside of, okay? Uh, we sometimes refer to the parables as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, but literally it's the story that goes alongside another, another truth. And that's the whole point of a parable. Jesus was teaching a truth, but he put a story alongside of it to help us to understand the, sto- the truth that he wanted us to uh, use. So here you got that word para again. It means alongside of. Well, the word, rest of the Greek word there means death. So the work he was doing was something that was alongside of death. And that word in the Greek is a word that was used to describe people who would go to a situation where there was death involved uh, or it might result in their own death because of the illness. Keep in mind that there were all kinds of plagues and whatnot going on in the world at this time, and there were people who had the right kind of heart that was so interested in helping others and serving others that they would go and treat these patients with the possibility of them contracting the exact same plague. That's, that's what that word originally meant. Uh, it reminds you how uh, not too long ago in the news there was a discussion about the doctor who was treating the Ebola patients who was a member of the church and how he got Ebola also and nearly killed him, but he came back to the United States and he was healed. And, of course, um, there's been, he's been on all kinds of talk shows and TV shows and whatnot. But he was doing something very similar. Here was a man who was a Christian who was going in to treat patients that had a very deadly disease. 
And um, that's what's being described about Epaphroditus here. Now, it's interesting, that same Greek word, as time went on, became a gambling term that the Greeks used to mean risk it all. This word paraluthamia means to risk it all, to roll everything on one dice, or I'm all in, I'm risking everything. And so it became a gambling term. But here, Paul is using it to describe Epaphroditus. And, of course, his purpose in this is to make sure they understand, the church at Philippi, that this is not a man who just quit and decided to come home like a John Mark. But instead, he did this because he was risking his life for me. Uh, We don't know, once again, what caused uh, him to get sick and nigh unto death, but it's because he was there helping Paul that this all came about. So don't tear him down. You need to build him up. You need to give him a hero's welcome. And, of course, what he means by your lack of service toward me, he doesn't mean that in derogatory term. He just simply means he was doing what you couldn't do. He was here in your presence. Uh, He was supplying my needs because you couldn't supply my needs where you were. Now, how much time we have got? Bobby, I messed with that clock up there, and it just got stuck at that one time. I should have never messed with it. All right, we got about, we got about three minutes. Now, here's what I didn't do at the beginning of the class. I normally do, but now I want you to put on your thinking caps as we look at Epaphroditus here. And I want you to help me discover how does Epaphroditus tie in to everything that Paul has talked about so far? Remember what I said, everything in the book of Philippians, and the book does such a wonderful, Paul does this wonderful job in this, he just builds upon everything that he says, and it's all tied in together somehow or another. So here's the next question. How, how does Epaphroditus tie into everything that he said so far? Yes. All right. Now, a minute ago, I mentioned that Paul uses the exact same phrase in this verse at the end of chapter 2 that he uses in verse 8. Now, Paul is making, I didn't mention it at the time, but Paul is kind of making a play on words here. Remember in verse 8, he says that Christ became obedient even unto death. Then he uses the exact same phrase to describe Epaphroditus. He's making a play on words to tie something in here. What's he tying in? Well, as Jeff has already said, He's talking about how that as Christ, remember earlier he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He is giving us an example of a real live man who had the mind of Jesus Christ. Now, also, keep in mind this. When the Apostle Paul brings up this idea of let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, That wasn't just arbitrary put there to tell us about Jesus Christ. It fit in with the overall theme of what Paul wanted the church at Philippi to do. And what was it? To be unified. To have unity. So Paul's bringing up this idea of unity. And I've got to stop. But I want to make this one last point. But notice he uses three different men in this particular story. He has himself. He has Timothy that he mentioned earlier. And he has Epaphroditus. I want you to notice that diversity and unity here. The Apostle Paul was a Jew. Timothy was both Greek and a Jew. He had a Hebrew mother and a Greek father. Epaphroditus was completely Greek. Here are three different men with three different origins. 
unity and diversity, and they were all working for the common good. Once again, it ties everything that Paul had been saying. You want to have unity in the church, and it's going to come about because you have the same mind that Jesus Christ. Well, here, let me show you it in action. And that's how chapter 2 ends. Come on in.